0: hello and welcome to hardy party of five and a half welcome how's it going rebecca hardy it's going good okay i have kind of a deep question to start the conversation off today i'm ready have you ever had a near-death experience
1: Um, I I don't really think so. I mean, I've had some probably scary experiences or something, maybe like car accident or something like that, but never never where I was worried about death.
0: Okay. Well our guest today has faced like several of these things (laughs) like over and over in his lifetime. Yes. It's Jason Grimsley. He was a major league pitcher for fifteen years. Uh most notably for the Yankees. He was with Cleveland. So Mm -hmm. he pitched for a long time, but his life story is totally amazing.
1: After this podcast, you're going to know that he was actually best known for having more than nine lives.
0: (laughs) That's right. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) he shares some amazing stories with him some of them are very funny and then some are very very touching yeah um about grace and love and healing yeah so it was just cool to be able to talk to him tonight
1: yeah it was great you're you're going to be blown away by this guy's story you're not even going to believe that this can happen to one person all of these things but you will believe it and it is an amazing story yeah and he has a book out
0: that's called cross-stitched yeah And he's going to tell us about just how the whole book came together and all the stories Mm -hmm. that are in it.
1: Right. Yeah. So you're going to love this interview with Jason Grimsley. To know because I'm a mom is your mom's favorite phrase was what were you thinking? I'm sure I've said that to my thousand kids <laughs> one thousand times. How did that sum up your childhood?
2: Oh that was a daily occurrence. You know <laughs> mom always says I would be in the middle of the air thinking, all right, this is gonna hurt when I land. And my little brother's back there sitting watching me going, no, I'm not gonna do that. it might hurt. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he was
0: learning from you then.
2: Oh no he no he he didn't he didn't learn from me just he was always extremely cautious, still is extremely cautious.
0: Okay. Just his personality?
2: And I'm a, I'm a ready fire aim type of person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: So she said that to you a lot? Oh,
2: yeah. Both, both, both times.
1: <laughs> times. So how did you lose your big toe?
2: Uh, that was uh, caused by a stump and a motorcycle.
3: Oh. It, it had
2: a stump doing about 40. The stump was about that high and the grass was about that high and I I never Ooh. saw it and I was turning one way. Wow. It hit the gear shift and the gear shift wrapped around toward the bottom of my foot off and the stump itself Gosh. <laughs> between my big toe and the, the toe next to it it ripped me up to my ankle and it tore the under part of my bottom part of my toe off. Oh oh my that, that, that how,
1: yeah. how, how old were you? I was twelve. Uh, I was a little younger than that, and I was riding. I don't know if you know this. I was riding motorcycle through a pasture. Same thing. There was a concrete. I don't even know what it was in the pasture, and the weeds were higher than it. See, get you every time. And I flipped over the handlebars. I didn't lose a you toe. Did? I didn't know. Yeah, this. I didn't lose yeah. a toe. I busted my face up, but I didn't lose a toe. Oh my gosh.
2: <laughs> if, I, if I, I, I don't know. I've died so many bullets, figuratively it the end literally. <laughs> I, there's, there's definitely a reason I'm still here
1: yeah absolutely
0: <laughs> yeah what are some other things like in your childhood you mentioned a lot of things in the book like times that you thought man i shouldn't have made it through that are there a All couple right. things you can remember
2: yeah when i was five i had i was on dad's roving horse in the feeding pen and he got spooked and it was wet and he slipped and completely rolled over on me with a saddle on
3: oh
2: my God. and nothing happened to me <laughs> um shoot how many of them I got got a life jacket stuck around my feet because I thought it would be funny to try to stand on it in the middle of the pool by myself and got stuck upside down. Funny thing is, in all these instances, I never panicked. I just, all right, so I'm underwater. I can get back up and get a breath and I got to swim to the side. That's all that went through my head. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: This is things that like Green Berets do. You know that, right?
0: But I think they do it
2: on purpose. I guess you did it on purpose too. Yeah. This is all accident. Yeah. No, I was. um, I had my bicycle slide under a car, and I threw my feet up and pushed myself off the car as the car was going down the road about thirty miles an hour. Oh my gosh!
3: My
0: goodness.
2: At the ripe old age of about seven. (laughs) Uh, Shoot, what else? Uh, My dad. My dad shot me in Louisiana. My brother shot me in Mexico hunting. (laughs) <laughs> okay where did they shoot you uh, my brother shot me in the back of the head at about 30 yards you know right. and in the movie it all that energy's got to stop it knocked me straight down we had to dig take the tweezers and dig pellets out of the back of my head oh my, my god my dad actually i still don't know how he missed me but he was about he was a little bit closer than that and it i had Carhartt coveralls on It was real cold and it tore the entire back of my coveralls off, it only had a couple pellets in me. I oh dodged, dodged, and then um, my wife saw me get run over on my street bike <laughs> not, not, not not a scratch. uh we had a plane crash into our house, <laughs> and my truck made a funny noise taking the kids to sc- the boys to school and called my friend to the civily place and um Told him I'd like to run it by. He said, bring it by real quick. Well, it's 10 minutes to school and then about 10 minutes to the dealership. And right when I pulled in the dealership, my wife called in the calm voice and said, Jason, plane crashed in the house. You need to get home. <laughs> and I broke every long on the man getting back in the house. drove around bro- roadblocks, drove up in my front yard and was going in the house and the police officer told me to stop. I said, there you go, to shoot me. <laughs> went, in house, went in the house and the keeping room and the kitchen, the the back walls were gone. The glass was all gone. The sliding doors were gone. And uh, I looked down, on the couch that me and my daughter always sit on every time my wife's downstairs working out with her with her trainer was just obliterated. And oh uh, I ran out the back patio to. I didn't know where my wife and my daughter were. Yeah. And I was about uh, fifteen feet from where the plane hit. And I, 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 saw, I saw stuff, and I'd love to unsee. Wow! And uh, he'll never, you'll never forget that. I wonder if I get the sight, and I wonder if you get the smell.
1: Yeah, I bet not. Oh my gosh! Yeah,
0: that's crazy. I... Well, Jason, I'm glad you're with us. <laughs> yeah,
2: no <laughs> kidding. And then in, in the book, the, the the botched suicide attempt. I. Um...
0: Yeah, you mentioned in the book that your darkest, the very bad day, is what you called it. Mm-hmm.
3: But,
2: yeah. yeah but if anybody wants to know what hell looks like, I can, I can describe it for you.
3: Mm.
1: Wow. Okay. So I have a practical question. Does your homeowner's insurance cover a plane hitting it?
2: No, <laughs> uh, actually ours didn't. The, wow. the, uh, the pilots, their, their insurance, they have, their, their they insurance have
1: covered plane it. Plane. Oh my goodness. That a is there were
2: five people on the plane lost their lives. It was a horrible, oh. horrible, horrible day.
1: Oh, oh my gosh! That is. But
2: if, it, if, it, if it hadn't it hadn't been, funny he yes, my the noise my truck made it never made it again.
3: Mm.
0: Yeah, it was keeping you from being in from the house from going home. Yeah.
2: Right. Yep. Oh okay. wow. wow. Know, they, they say hindsight's twenty twenty. I I look back on my life now, and there's so many times, and you know, I missed a telephone pole on a motorcycle doing a hundred. Mm-hmm. Went through the ditch, came out of the ditch, got back wow. on the road, kept going. My wow. buddy that was behind me on his, he stopped, threw up, and was shaking. He said, "You're you're you're, you're supposed to be dead. You're supposed to be dead." Wow. <laughs> and I, I I just didn't think about it. I just I, I missed it. So let's keep going.
0: Yeah. Oh my word. <laughs> so you ended up pitching 15 years in the major leagues. I'm going to forgive you that you were with the Yankees for a minute. <laughs> you know, and you I won mean. two World Series yes. with the Yankees.
2: No, 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 not- no. You're not a
0: Boston fan, are you? Uh, no, we are. We're Ranger fans. So, mm-hmm. oh, oh,
2: oh,
3: that's
0: that's that's better.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we won't I, talk about Nelson Cruz.
0: Oh gosh, yeah. Let's not talk about that. Why do you bring that up again? So sorry. <laughs> talk about a very bad day for me. Oh gosh. So you ended up being in the major leagues for 15 years. But when you were a kid, what was your original dream that you always wanted to do?
2: I was. I actually wanted to be in the military. Hmm. My dad was an aircraft mechanic on the USS Midway. My grandfather was a Marine. All my grandmothers' uncles were Marines. Uh, my great-uncle was a naval aviator. And uh, I actually got an academic scholarship to the Air Force Academy hmm. and felt physical because of my,
1: my foot. Oh, yeah. So I,
2: had, so I had about a month of school left. Didn't know what I was going to do, and my high school coach took me to a trial camp and about eight days after that trial camp I was drafted. Three six days after that I was in Ben Oregon, and three years later I was in the Big leagues. Hmm.
0: Because in high school you didn't your last couple of years you didn't pitch much because of injuries, right? I
2: don't know, I broke my right wrist in off season football after pitching one game and then a basketball game I got cut and broke my left wrist and hurt my right shoulder. <laughs> oh my <laughs> gosh. Oh man. So oh, no. So the lady, the lady at the at the at the emergency room in a real small town in Cleveland, Texas, I had to have been 10, 11 years old, and mom mom looked at her. She brought me in probably for the fifth time that summer. Said, Judy, if, if I didn't know you, I'd turn you into CPS."
1: Yeah. <laughs> like, what are <did laughs> you doing? Know, this it was
2: it was stitches, broken bones, you, you name it.
1: Oh, my word, that is crazy. So you obviously you're a fierce competitor, even competing against yourself. We have. We have a family motto you might like, which is when you're winning, it's about winning. And when you're losing, it's about ministry. Uh,
2: (laughs) Show me a good loser. I'll show you a loser. Yeah, Yeah. that's
1: right. That's right. So we have three boys. So lots of competition always at our house, but it seems to run in your blood. What in your book, you talk about the difference between failing and losing. What, what do you say is the difference?
2: Oh, failures is is, that happens on a daily, daily basis.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: You know, failing is is how you learn. It's how you make adjustments. It's how you correct things. Losing is when you don't give it your best effort, when you half-step it, when you quit,
3: Mm -hmm.
2: when you just give up on yourself, give up on teammates, give up on your family, whatever it is. That's losing.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. So losing is more long-term. You're just done.
2: Losing is a mindset. Mm-hmm. It's some, somewhere in there somebody has kicked a person enough to where they don't feel like they deserve to win or they don't feel like they deserve to be happy or deserve success
3: mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. those are good and,
2: words and failing is what a good coach a good parent a good mentor mm-hmm. encourages you to do
1: yeah right that's where you, you task, learn
2: gives you tasks you know you're gonna they, they know you're going to fail at mm-hmm
1: Yeah. And it's, it's actually pretty healthy to fail and then pick yourself back up. Like that's a good lesson to learn. A lot of parents these days, we don't let our kids fail enough.
2: That's all success is getting one, getting up one more time. You get knocked down.
1: Mm -hmm. That's right. Okay. There was a moment in the book where I'm like,
0: did he just say that? And you, (laughs) (laughs) you're talking about on your first date with your wife that you were proud that you slept with her. So explain, (laughs) explain what you mean by that.
2: (laughs) Well, this is back in the days when I when I drank a little bit, and uh, we'd we'd gone out and we'd we'd met up with some of her friends, and we went back to uh, a place that her friends were riding on the beach, and I drank a little more, and it wouldn't wouldn't have been a good idea for me we to drive, so she suggested that I I spend the night, so I actually slept in in her, in her room in her bed, and she still had her skirt, her stockings, her shirt, her jacket on, <laughs> probably her shoes as well. And uh, I got back there in my my jeans and my shirt and my shoes. <laughs> so I so let everybody out. Yeah, we're married. But first night, ne- first day, we went on, slept like,
0: okay. <laughs> That's hilarious. So, what does your bride, what does your bride Dana mean to you?
2: Oh, she's in the world.
1: Yeah, she's
2: yeah, she's she's the only reason I'm still here. Really? I was 23 years old when I met her. And the day before I met her, if you'd have told me I was going to get married, I'd have laughed at you because mm. I had a Rolodex, so to speak, <laughs> <laughs> That's something I'm extremely proud of,
1: uh-huh.
2: but um, yeah, I wasn't not even close to being in the mindset of settling down and getting married. Yeah. But yeah. The second I met her, I, I knew I tried to sabotage it right off the get go.
1: Did
2: you? Oh, yeah. I didn't call her.
1: Oh, really? Oh,
2: but her cousin came into town, and they actually came to a spring training facility and found my truck and left a note on my truck <laughs> to call her. So I called her and went out with her, and then we were married my 11 months later.
1: Wow. How long have you been married? Uh, 30 years.
2: 30 oh, yeah. years. We are, too. We're 30 years. We're 30 years, too. <laughs> 31 uh in a couple of weeks.
0: Oh, oh really? awesome.
1: Congratulations. So what year did you get married in? 1992. Oh my gosh, we're the exact same. Uh, oh,
0: we got married in August. Though. We got married in August yeah.
1: of '92 on a softball field. We did. <laughs> and now, yeah, well, we're just just behind you.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so you have some funny stories in the book, and the one I I want to talk about is Batgate, because in this story, you had a chance to do your own Mission Impossible. So tell us what happened with explain because. A lot of people that don't, that are into baseball, like I'm kind of a baseball historian kind of guy, don't realize what back gate was. So explain what that was and and how you were involved in this.
2: <laughs> uh, well, we were, uh, we were in Chicago. Um, I was with the Indians. And uh, first inning comes up, you know, top of the first. Albert goes up to hit Albert Bell. And um, their manager, Gene Lamont, went and talked to the umpire. And they started talking and Asked Albert to come over to him, and umpire took the bat, looked at it, scratching on it, whatever, and called called one of the attend, clubhouse tenants over, and they confiscated the bat. And I'm sitting in the dugout, and I don't have any idea what's going on. I'm sitting that's the Buddy Bell. And I look down the bench, and Mike Hargrove, the manager, has got his head, got his hand, his head in his hands, you know, just leaning over, and I. Tap Buddy, I said, Buddy, what's wrong with Grover? And he goes, We're done. I go, What do you mean? He said, Well, that batch court I said, Jason, everybody has his court. It's uh-huh. BP batch court. <laughs> and I sitting there and I looked at Buddy and tape played in my mind of me walking in with umpires that day. I usually get there about two o'clock. And uh just so happened umpires got there the same time I did. So I'm walking in with them, talking. And stopped right by their dressing room and continued on to ours. Well, I just remembered that their dressing room was on our side of the tunnel behind Don't Play the old of Comiskey. So I just looked, I just looked over at Buddy said, Buddy, I think I can get that back. He <laughs> said, What? I said, I, can, I, I think I can get that back. So he went down and talked to Grover, and Grover looked down at me and went, Go get it. So <laughs> went to the clubhouse. Uh, I think his name was. Uh, Gabe Kaplan was a clubhouse attendant. Great guy. I walked up to Gabe. I said, Gabe, I need a flashlight. And he can't (laughs) ever tell anybody he gave me a flashlight. He said, no problem, Gramps. So I got me a flashlight. I went to the manager's office, shut the door. (laughs) Took off off my uniform, put on a T-shirt, got some batting gloves, got an old Paul Sorrento bat, beat it up a little bit. And I proceeded to climb on 12-inch cinder block walls all the way to the umpire's room and it was about, <laughs> a, probably uh, about a 50 yard trek something like that, in that and uh, a little further and that's straight line I, i'm going going over walls coming back and i get to where i think the umpire's room is and i lift one of the ceiling tiles up in the false ceiling and i look down and all i see is a guy sitting on the couch looking at this <laughs> It was a grounds crew room. <laughs> and I looked at him, and he looked at me, and all I did was put my finger to my lips, and he went, dude, never said anything to anybody. <laughs> so,
0: you don't see that every day. <laughs>
2: uh, so, I, so I made my way to the umpire, umpire's room, lift the ceiling towel up, crawled down the room on top of the refrigerator, got on the cabinet, swapped the bats out, came back, wiped it off as good as I could, got back up in the seat and put the towel back down. <laughs> and as soon as I got up there, the clubhouse attendant walked in. And I don't know what he was doing, but he was in there about five minutes. Now, I don't know if you've experienced adrenaline on a grand scale, but it, it was, I could i could literally feel my chest and my neck and my throat. I could feel my heartbeat in my throat. <laughs> and I'm, having, I'm, I'm breathing through my mouth real quiet because I don't want you to hear me. And he leaves and I'm gonna make my way back. Give them the bat, and they took all Albert's bats out. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, next day, I'm standing in the outfield, and Mike ate, it was a was a catcher with the White Sox. The nickname was Spanky because he looked like Spanky from the Little Rascals.
3: <laughs> yep,
2: great guy, great guy, They're hilarious, very quiet, but just one of the funniest human beings on the planet. Well, he starts on their side of the field and never looks at me, and takes one step sideways all The way to me, never looking at me, gets right next to me. still hadn't looked at me. He goes, Hey, Gramps, heard you had a mission impossible last night. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome! And then sidestepped all the way back to, to their side
0: in case somebody was bugged or something. Yeah, <laughs> that is awesome. These are things that only happen in like baseball to me. This is like a quintessential baseball story. That's awesome. Oh, my goodness.
2: Well, the funny thing is. So obviously, Reinsdorf, the owner of the White Sox, he he was not a happy man. He was screaming on TV that night. They're they're bringing the FBI. They're gonna get. They're gonna take fingerprints. Whoever did it's going to jail. Well, they didn't got
3: fingerprints. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: When well, yeah, You had your batting, you had gloves, your on.
3: batting gloves on.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. But so you're like Tom Cruise crawling through there.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> a couple. Of, nah, I don't say that, please. <laughs> Probably,
1: probably he's probably kind
2: of, he's he's tiny, he's yeah.
0: Probably a little bigger than
1: Tom Cruise, yeah.
2: But uh, but um, so a couple of days go by, and all of a sudden, I get a call from the commissioner's office, and I got to go see Bud Seeley because my GM John Hart squealed on me, and um, so I am at the union lawyers uh, uh, Donald Fear, Michael Laner. And we met in, uh, on, I think it's Park Avenue in New York. And we go into the offices, and Don looks at me and goes, Jason, they're probably going to find you. They're probably going to suspend you. I said, but just don't worry about it. We're going to, we're going to appeal it. We're going to take care of it. I said, All right. So we go into Bud's office, and Bud walks in and he sits down at his desk and he leans up on his desk and he looks at me and goes, Rams, I'm not going to find you. I'm not going to suspend you. Just tell me the story. <laughs> I tell him, he starts laughing and we get we get done. He said, I said, Dang, son, you you one hell of a teammate. <laughs> and he said, All right, just do me a favor, just not tell anybody. I said, You got it. Yeah. I was 94. So 99, I'm a spring training of the Yankees. Buster Onley comes to me. He was a writer with uh, the Yankees at the time. And uh Buster says, Hey Jason, I need to get a message to somebody. I said, all right, what do you need, Buster? He said, um, Somebody told me that you might know the person that took Albert's bad L umpire shoot. Yeah, I know him. He said, Well, could you get a message to him? I said, Yeah. He said, If I get permission from Bud Sealy, do you think he will tell a story? I said, I don't know, Buster, but I'll ask him. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, like you're
0: Peter Parker and
2: you're talking to Spider Man or something. Right? So a couple days later he comes back and he says, All right, Bud said, I can tell a story. We can tell a story. So, told told us the story. I said, all right, there's there's only there's only one thing I want, and I won't tell you the story unless you agree to it. Is you can't print it now. You got to wait till the season starts." I hmm. was only thing to distract from, from spring training and me trying to make this team. And sure enough, open the day, in New York, <laughs> right there on every paper in New York City. Back gate solved.
3: So, <laughs> back gate yeah,
1: solved. Told, <laughs> told the
3: story
0: oh gosh oh my
1: god that's goodness. Awesome. That is hilarious <laughs> so you would have a career in uh you know maybe- espionage yes yeah.
2: espionage. I, I, don't, I don't know about that I, <laughs> I don't know, like, I, like i told you i was a ready shoot aim kind of guy <laughs> yeah know, get that bat i just that's the first thing that popped in my head yeah i, I gotta I get know. that bat i don't know but that's, that's oh what my I,
1: gosh Okay, so tell us about your very good day, April twenty fifth,
2: nineteen ninety nine. Oh uh, yeah, so um, that spring training, same same spring training, Batgate came out. I, I told the story of Buster. Uh, my wife's been a Christian for our, our entire marriage, probably before that. I, I know before that, just a, just a great lady, and uh, she had always she had, she didn't make me go to church with her. I would. If I had if I had a way to weasel out of it, I'd do it. Because I when I tell you I felt like the biggest terrible that's ever walked in the building, I felt like the biggest terrible ever walked in the building when I went to church. And um we went we went to see the uh the Easter production at a at a big church in in uh Tampa, there's week training with the Yankees. And I'd seen it, but I'd seen it before. And we're sitting there and going through it and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just hit me. Mm. And he said, "All right, we're gonna start our walk now."
3: Mm.
2: And when it was done, I was I was sitting through a crime. My wife kept saying, Are you okay?" And I went, "Yeah, I'm good." And uh, <laughs> so the next day, I went to, in spring training. George McGovern's the chaplain there, and he's he's there pretty much every day. And I walked up George McGovern and started talking to him, and um, he invited me to Bible study that they did pretty much on a daily basis, and then chapel on Sundays. And had some great teammates, Andy Pettit, Scott Brocious, uh, Bernie Williams, Mariano Rivera, all strong Christians, good men, and um, helped me- mentor me and made the team out of spring training. Told George I wanted him to baptize me. So he, he baptized me in Lake Alma on April 25th, 1999. You know, wow. Andy Pettit, Scott Brocious, my wife, my kids, um, my mother in law was there. And um, water's cold. It's April, <laughs> April and Lake Ormond, I guess. But it was, I wanted to keep by it was just a, an amazing feeling coming out, and coming out of the water and George being there and my, my wife and uh, my friends, family. And that, was, they, they couldn't possibly get any better. So yeah. go to the ballpark, is Joe DiMaggio day. So I walk in the clubhouse, I had no idea. I just knew it was Joe DiMaggio day. I didn't know what's going on. So I walk in and every Hall of Fame old timer from the Yankees passes in there. You got Whitey Ford, Yogi Berra, Phil Rizzuto, Joe Pepitone. You got it's just, it's just the list goes on. I'm talking just I'm just,
3: you know,
2: one of my old teammates, um I'm um Dave Winfield. Was he was he that? yep, yep, he was. Um it was just a I'm I'm like a kid in a candy store walking around talking to these guys. (laughs) Not paying any attention to anything else. So I go to my locker and Bernie Williams, who I mentioned earlier, is just an incredible musician. He actually has albums out now.
3: Hmm. Great
2: guitarist. And in spring training, he and I were talking. And I'd started playing the guitar. And he told me to bring my guitar to the clubhouse. And he'd show me a few things. Well, his locker's next to an empty locker. And I'm just on the other side. So we're back in the corner and we put our guitars in an empty locker. Well, I go to my locker, and somebody's sitting in my chair with the back to me playing my guitar. And I, me being me, me, going, all right, I didn't tell anybody I could play the guitar. Who's this? go so up there, it's Paul Simon. So I get to sit down and play the guitar of Paul Simon.
1: Oh, my. So I have been
2: baptized. <laughs> I got to meet all the old was out here. I'm playing the guitar of Paul Simon. Oh, my. Well, Billy Crystal's also in the clubhouse. He's got a huge, <laughs> huge Yankees fan. So he's looking for somebody to go play catch with him. I mean, we're not taking BP and a day off from BP. Nobody's going outside. So I'm looking. At him, I'm gonna play catch with you, Billy. <laughs> so go outside and play catch, and it's 15 minutes of just a comedy show between him, me, and the fans. Wow! I'm laughing, and I'm just you know, I, I didn't I didn't think about it at the time. The, the way things the way things happened. But the day just kept getting better and better and better and better. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're, we're playing the Blue Jays. Ninth inning, we got a one run lead. Mariano comes in. Best closer ever step on the baseball field. And mm-hmm. uh, game over. Uh, Mariano gave up a run. I think he blew the only save he blew all year. Wow. And I come in and pitch the 10th, 11th winnings and get my, get my first win as a Yankee. So, April 25th, I was baptized, got to meet all the old timers playing guitar, Paul Simon, Catch me the blue crystal, and got my first win as he ate
0: I think that was a celebration, wasn't it? Yeah, oh my gosh. That
2: was like. Yeah, and we, we went to Smith and Walensky's after.
0: Yeah.
2: In New York. And there's a, there's a table right up front. And on the table is a bottle of wine that says, Congratulations, Jason, on, the fir- on your first win. And uh, the manager's name's Gabe. And I got. I can still call Gabe this day, and my wife and I actually got a table in the kitchen one time because they didn't have have room on a on a weekend when, <laughs> when we were visiting New York. I called and Gabe, Gabe said, "Y'all yeah, come on in, what's up, table in the kitchen."
1: So, oh my goodness, that was like the Lord the Lord's favor, yeah. all day for you.
2: That was correct. That's that's exactly what that was. I didn't recognize that's it at the time, but that's a lifetime
0: in one day. Really, that is crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay. So that
0: same year you end up getting to pitch in the world series for the Yankees. That's every kid's dream. Like I've played, I don't know how many games I've played pretending I'm in the world series. <laughs> so what's that moment like of walking into the world series and getting on that mound?
2: Well, I don't think you well, there's a, there's a funny story to getting there. So we go into the playoffs first round, we're playing Texas and it's a five five game series. And, uh, Joe Torrey comes to me and says, "Jason, uh, you're on the roster, but you're not active. You're one of the alternates." He said, "We need an extra bench player," and I said, that's "No problem, Joe. I said, I'm just happy to be here." Are you kidding me?
0: Yeah.
2: So we sweep Texas in three games. We
0: forgive you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, they get they get hit, but they can't get anybody
1: out. Well.
0: yeah, that's the truth. Yeah. Every every year, but anyway. <laughs>
1: We we know this well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um
2: so then uh we win we win that series and we go to play Boston uh, for the ALCS. And Joe before the series, Joe comes and says, Hey look, we're gonna leave the brush like it is. I says, that's no problem, I I completely understand. So we let me see, it was the we won, the, we won the first two games at home and then we go to Boston and Hideki Rabu pitched and he had been struggling a little bit and he didn't get out of second and he gave up eight runs, something like that. And uh, we end up winning in five games. So we go back, we're getting ready to play Atlanta in the World Series and I'm still not active. And the pitch is around the 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 turtle on the field bunting because none of them get I can bunt. They couldn't bunt. <laughs> i the best button on the planet still. But uh <laughs> so Joe comes up to me and says, Hey, Rams just wanna let you know we're leaving the Russia like it is. And um excuse my language, but I looked at him and said, Joe, that's bullshit. He goes, What? He said, You heard me. He said, Well what do you mean? I said, Well, Joe, you and I both know you're not gonna start him, you're not gonna bring him in the ballgame. If something happens, you do bring him in the ballgame. You know that the game's over. These guys are gonna know the game's over. That's it. Mm-hmm. You put me in a ballgame, they might think we have a chance. So that's why I think it's BS show. You know? mm-hmm. And let me changed my mind. You'd rather piss somebody making three hundred thousand off than somebody making five million. I turned around and walked off. I said, hey. I said, what? I said, we ain't, ain't made my mind up. I said, whatever, Joe. So I go home. and I told my wife. I said, honey, we might not be going to Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> she said, What'd you do this time? <laughs> I'm, I'm a theme there. Did she say, what were you thinking? Yeah, bro, that's what uh, she should have. Right, yeah. um, so I go to the locker room the next day. am sitting in my locker, and Joe says, and they see him office. So I go in office and he shuts the door and I sit down and he says, you're on the roster. You're active. I said, all right. I said, I'll have you no money. Never have to do anything to do with it. I said, all right, Joe. So I go out and told everybody. I told my wife. I said, hey, I got my got, got my nails on you. I need to make sure you're there. <laughs> so, so we go to Atlanta. And... Um, David, David, did know Orlando Hernandez, but first game? They'll do game. And do um, seven innings, we end up winning, I think it's five to one. I think uh, Nelson or Stanton and then Rivera. So next game's uh, David Cohn, we win five to two. And I think it was Mendoza, Nelson, Stanton, Rivera coming out of the bullpen. So we still have Roger Clemens and Andy Pettit left. We're up two games to none. Andy Pettitte starting the third game. I don't think he's lost a game in the playoffs or World Series ever at this time. <laughs> and so I'm just kicking back, not really expecting a whole lot. Well, Andy gets in trouble. Gives up a couple runs in the first inning couple runs in the second inning, gives number on run third inning. Well, in the second inning, he called and said, get your up. So I'm warming up. And only got this feeling one at a time, and that was my debut when I was a 21-year-old kid in 1989, where your feet never never hit the turf. But well, when they opened that gate up and said, your rims are in, and you run out there, and you, you realize that it's old Yankee Stadium. There's... 50,000 plus people there you know millions of people are watching but that's not really what what goes you know that in the back of your head but that's not what goes through your mind what goes through your mind is what you mentioned earlier when you're a kid you're always thinking all right, alright the World Series or the Yankees or I I wouldn't have said the Astros back then because that wasn't wasn't possible back in those days (laughs) (laughs) but uh well, they they got close a couple of times. But um <laughs> so I go out to the mound and I'm I'm I made myself every time that I got called into a ball game, I made myself look around and enjoy that moment and just realize how much I absolutely loved going out there and doing what I got to do. Yeah. So I get to the mound, there's uh Joe Girardi's there, he's a the catcher, Scott Brochus, Derek Jeter, Chuck Knobloch, Tino Tina Martinez and, and Joe Torre, mm-hmm. And they're sitting up there talking. So I get up on the mound and I'm thinking, all right, Joe's going to impart some words of wisdom on me. And they're talking. And when I get up there, talking stops. <laughs> and Joe hands me the ball. He goes, here you go. Turns around and leaves. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're like, where's my movie mo- motivational speech,
2: Joe? <laughs> uh, he was just saying, all right, sonny. It's your ready. turn. Your butt, your butt wrote a check. Let's see if you can cash it. That's yeah,
0: right. That's exactly and
2: right. And, and three scoreless later, we tied the game up. Ended up winning. Chad Curse at the walk up home run 10th inning.
1: Wow.
2: And um, after the game, Joe Torrey comes in the clubhouse. and just screaming, way to go, Jason. Limpley, way to go. But that gets me to my best moment in baseball. It wasn't pitching in, in that game. It wasn't my debut. It wasn't anything else. After every win at home, all all your all the young children, the boys, could come to the, come to the locker room. I don't care if it's regular season, playoffs, World Series. They got to come. They got to come in. So my oldest boy's five, Hunter, and he comes running in. And there's about thirty people standing around my locker, and all I can see is Hunter waving at me as he's going by. And I know he's going straight back to the video room so he can play video games. You want to be the first one there? My other my other boy, John, he's three and a half. And I know he's right behind him, but I can't see him. And all of a sudden I see the reporters moving out of the way and he's making his way through and he's holding his arms up. So I pick him up. I'm holding him. And, uh, Susan Walden from the yes network is interviewing me and she's talking to me and John keeps grabbing my face. and want me to look at him. Mm. I, I go, hang on, buddy. Just a second. Let me, let me talk to Miss Susan. I'm talking He grabs my face again. I go, hang, hang on guys. And he turns my head and he pats me on both cheeks and he says, way to go daddy. Way to go. Mm. Mm. and i just started bawling. <laughs> that's because i got, like susan started crying john started crying and i said don't you didn't do anything wrong buddy this is this is a happy cry." Right?
1: right teaching him what a happy cry is that, that, that was that was my best moment in baseball wow that's Definitely. incredible
2: pitching that's- the world <laughs> series was great uh, that winning the world series was great yeah but that one moment
1: there
3: yeah. was, there was nothing
1: to that. and somebody caught that on film yeah, I figure. What's so crazy is you guys. I don't know if it's a dude thing or what. We've talked
0: about this before. You you're gonna the that?
1: uncanny ability to recall the batting order of a game that happened. <laughs> I don't. Understand. I think guys
0: have an extra gene. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't know.
1: But you tend to forget who caught that ball in that game one time, you know, warm-ups when I cut that yeah. caught that Pudge Rodriguez ball, the Cal Ripken Jr. sign. Yeah. You always want to think it you caught it, but let's yeah. just I don't know why you can't recall that correctly, but you well, know you
0: forget that I was right behind you and I had it if you didn't.
1: Yeah, you were backing so, me up. Yeah. But you didn't I didn't need you.
0: <laughs> but it is amazing. Like I can remember softball games 10 years ago Mm -hmm. and you remember plays you remember who was playing it's just something that guys can do I don't know we used to have especially a a pro athlete I mean
1: Jason we used to have a rule when we were younger playing softball that after a game you can talk all you want about all the missed calls and all the bad this and all the great things and whatever you want to talk about till we walk in the door and once we walk in the door because if not he would talk (laughs) about it till the next week's game
3: Uh, yeah
1: (laughs) and so just had to be like once the door closes we are done with that game we cannot talk about the mist anything we're done
2: yeah <laughs> i was i was i was extremely good at. as soon as i took uniform off. i was a totally different person
1: yeah yeah leaving your job
2: oh yeah no we never we never discussed yeah it was all it was all kids family wife what do we you know just basic living no i never I was never upset when I went home. Really? Yeah.
1: Does she love baseball?
2: Not really, no. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that might have made it easier.
2: <laughs> she didn't know anything about baseball. When we got, I'm talking nothing. <laughs> she, still, she still really doesn't get
1: it, so. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, that that might have made that, that might make that easier, probably. I like sports a lot, too, so I don't know
0: it keeps the conversation going that way yeah for
1: sure a little friendly competition always um okay so if you will tell us about your very bad day and this was august 21st 2015
2: yep Uh, that probably started in 2005 that whole process Mm -hmm. probably before that but um yeah my my wife's younger brother committed suicide and he called me about half an hour before he did it, and I didn't. I didn't have my phone with me. I didn't answer the phone. He left me a message, and that 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 tore me up for a long time, long time. And um, getting into my career and uh, the way the way baseball ended for me, me just walking away from it with the the Mitchell report and my house getting raided. You know the FBI hammering on me. I got, I got tired. I got tired of him telling me, trying to tell me what to do, and I basically said, "All right, you got two choices: you need to have my job or take me to jail. I'm gonna take one of them off the table. I quit.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So if you wanna arrest me, don't arrest me. But I'm not, I'm not gonna wear a wire. I'm not gonna do what you asked me to do. And um, you know, you put up as, as a, as a, as a guy, you put up this false front. Like it doesn't really bother you. You know, I was old anyway, but. That's no, what I've done since I was seven years old. Mm. All of a sudden, I got a big hole in the middle of it. And that, coupled with my wife's younger brother's death, accompanied with the me trying to take everything I could to numb any feeling I had and uh, repressing old... Memories of of abuse when I was real young. Um, You know, it just led me down a road. And as close as as I was to God in 1999, I could have not fallen further away when it came to the end of my career in 2006. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, winning World Series is great, but with all the cameras on you and all the interviews and everybody telling you how great you are, you sort of kind of, start buying into that load yeah. of BS <laughs> and uh, you know and I I firmly believe that i have done everything myself. I didn't I didn't ask for anybody's help. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt like i everything I'd done, I'd done i done it. You know, then all of a sudden that's that's gone and you got a hole in it it's right in the middle of you that you can't fill with anything. Mm. You know, there's nothing you can do to Ease, ease, ease the pain that you're feeling not only for the loss of the game but you know, the loss of your teammates the loss of competing and the loss of your identity and um, went to a rehab facility in 2007 for 30 days and came out mad at the world because I thought everybody was kind of fun and I couldn't and a few years later Talk my wife into having a glass of wine somewhere, and here we here we go again. And then for the next seven years, nobody knew, but I had an addiction to anything that would make me feel different than I was feeling. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it was alcohol, cocaine, pain pills—I didn't care what it was. I just did. I just didn't want to exist not being, at, at being sober. Yeah. And then it came to a point in August August 21st, 2015, where I said, All "Right, right, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. So I purposely got, got in an argument with my wife, left the house, went to my cousin's ranch, and I had an ounce of cocaine and half a dozen bottles of vodka. And three days later, it's gone, and it hadn't done its job. So I said, alright, I'm gonna do this right way. Picked up my gun, walked out in the woods, sat down, talked it, looked at it, pulled trigger, gun it. Wow. And I was I'm not gonna say I was relieved. I was I was pissed is what I was, but <laughs> I said alright people. And I didn't I didn't have the guts to do it again, I guess. Mm. And I said, "All right, God, you want to let me live, you want to let me die, do you want." And instead of the being on fire like I was in '99, it was a slow walk, sort of a slow burn, leading me down the path that that, that He wanted to lead me down. And uh, the moment everything really changed is after I got out of rehab. That time it was about forty. Well, let me see. About 42 days I was in there. We got out, and um, I decided that my wife and my kids were going to be better off without me there. I was going to get an apartment, and the day before I left to get the apartment, my wife walked into the room and said, none of this works without you. She said, I forgive you. God forgives you. But you got to forgive yourself. And I, that moment of grace that she showed me opened the door to the the grace that the Lord has for me.
3: Mm.
2: And, you know, it's still, it's still a bad day. You know, I still get flashbacks and close your eyes and think about some of the things you did You just sort of shake and shudder. But you know what that is. I know what that is now. Mm-hmm. I know where, I know where that attack come from, comes
1: from.
3: Right.
2: And, um, about a year after I got out of, out of rehab, uh, my wife wanted me to write a book. She, Told me she got to tell your story, and I did. I didn't want to do it because I did. I didn't want to be in. I didn't want to be in the limelight. I didn't want to be in the newspapers. Mm-hmm. I didn't want any notoriety. I just wanted to live my life, enjoy my family, be around my friends, um, do what I could do around here, as far as you know, helping, uh, helping out and helping people that need help, reaching people. And uh, a couple of years ago, George McGovern, who's a met, still, still a mentor of my great man, i still get a text from him every day. <laughs> uh, he invited me to an Athletes in Action um, training session in Zeno, Ohio. And it's to be able to, how to coach kids and how to, how to use Christ in coaching kids and how to, how to be an example and how to share the word while you're coaching there's about fifty people in this in this group and they bust they busted it up into and I think groups of ten, or like five groups of ten, something like that. And we're in our group, and one of the first things we did, everybody sitting around was told told their stories, you know, who they were, where they came from, whatever. Well, I don't know why I did it, but when it came my turn, I just started from my earliest memory and told them everything good bad and ugly that happened to me in my life and when I got done there were nine guys just looking at me with their jaws open <laughs> and uh there's um a, there's a, there's a there's a man in the group and his father-in-law has a church in, in Jersey and he said Jason you gotta you got to come tell you got to come tell your story at my ch- our church and I know. Uh, Never told my story to anybody other than you guys. You guys are the first one to hear it. He said, I don't, I don't care. You just got to come tell the story. I don't care. You don't got to do anything different. Just tell what you just told us right now. I said, all right, I'll do that. So they flew me up there, and I go to go go to speak at the church. And I get through telling my story, and same reaction. It was, you know, you people out there, and everybody knew, especially from right there in Jersey, that I was with the New York Yankees, and that's the way they – promoter J S Jason and you or me speaking. Yeah. I think they've heard baseball stories and I just unload on them. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody's jaws were on the on, the, on the, in their laps. And there was a man and a woman there, uh, George and Elizabeth Nader. And she's a she's a Christian author. She has a podcast a Christian podcast. Great lady. And they came up introduced themselves and asked me to come have dinner. So I went over there and we started talking. Little did I know, but her and my wife had uh, gotten together and said, "We're going to ambush Jason and we're going to take him out." <laughs> so, so we're, we're, we're at dinner one night, and here we, here we go. So said, "Okay, this is what this is what we do. This is what you're going to do." So, we're up there, and we're we there's Elizabeth, uh, another lady, Lori Sock, great lady, who initially started to help me write the book, but it just didn't work out and went, went with uh, Jason Clark. And um the three of us are sitting in her living room <clears throat> and we're going over the process and how she self-published her book and the steps that we need to take. she's says, Okay, you, you know we need a we need a title for the book? And you know, I said, Oh well, Dan and I have a couple we've been kicking some things around, but yeah, we don't have we don't have anything. And she said, okay, well just just pray about it. And so she said, I want to pray. So she started praying. I've never had a vision. I've never heard the Lord's voice. I closed my eyes, and started praying, and then a dark blue black ground with script writing, cross stitched, just that popped into my head. And so we get done praying, and I said, "Okay, I got it." And they go, "You got what?" I said, "I got the name of the book." And they go, "What?" "Cross stitched." Yeah. <laughs> they both yeah. they both looked at me and went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, then this, and then they said, "Okay, now." We need somebody to do the cover. I said, I got it. <laughs> That's awesome. Good good, good, good friend of mine, Mark Tremonti. He's a guitarist. With he's with Creed, and I was with Alter Bridge. He just did. Uh, Tremonti does Sinatra, which I know it doesn't sound very appealing. But when you hear this guy, he's he's a guitarist. That sing hadn't hadn't sing that, much, but this dude can absolutely wail. Not only a guitar, but he can sing. <laughs> but his brother. Did all the album covers art for Creed for Alter Bridge? and oh, I, love, yeah. I love the I love everything in it from My Own Prison to Human Clay to you know, To My Sacrifice. The you know the album cover I just love the way there's there some, there's a there, something's growing something's coming out dark to light.
3: Mm-hmm. And I
2: called I called him so I called him and talked to him and he said that, and I I said look I want you to do the cover. He said I got to tell you something. I said what's that? He said. I have this picture of an old baseball that I've always wanted to use on the cover. And I said, great. Just send me some some ideas. He he said, well, what do you, I said, I don't have any idea. I just, I just know I want you to do it. And so that's where the baseball came from.
3: Mm.
2: Wow. That's awesome.
0: Well, Jason, I'm so glad you told your story. When we, it's so cool. When we tell, tell stories like that, it's not about, it's not just about us getting through things it's seeing god working mm-hmm. and i think that's what's cool with stories like yours is just to see god working in your life and you get the chance to share that with people and that's just awesome yeah
2: that's awesome, just, that's awesome. That's awesome. the reason the reason the only reason i wrote the book the only reason was to help just one person
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know that if, if, if there's one person that benefits from it it's a success yeah, I don't, I don't. care. I don't care what it costs. I don't care. None of that stuff.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Just, just that, just that one, just that one person that whose life can be treat, transformed through our Lord and Savior Jesus. I, I can't do anything. Yeah. All I can do is tell my story, and if it resonates, and if the Lord works in them, that's 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 the only reason I'm doing this.
3: Yeah. yeah. Most
2: that, definitely. That and the benefit of emerging Grace ministries. Yeah, we're, we're building a home for young girls that have been um, sex traffic in an LTAC facility. Mm. All the proceeds are going directly to that.
3: Oh, wow.
2: And um, yeah, there's 16,000 animal shelters, a little more in the U.S.
3: Mm-hmm. There's
2: 800 beds for these girls.
3: Wow. Yeah, they got
2: wow. have already screwed up a little bit.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: Just a little, yeah. <laughs> but it, it is a fallen world.
1: And yeah.
3: hmm
2: I'm gonna do whatever the Lord asked me to do to try to make it a little bit brighter place.
1: Yeah, you are a testimony of someone who truly knows what it's like to be in the dark and then now living in the light.
2: Oh yeah, I, 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 the funny thing is, my 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 kids didn't like it growing up that much because they thought they'd get away with. It. But I said, "Boys, trust me, there's nothing you can do. <laughs> <laughs> I know what it looks like. I know how you're gonna act." I, So don't even
0: try. Yeah. Oh, goodness.
1: (laughs) That's amazing. Well,
0: Jason, we sure appreciate it, man.
1: Jason. It's been great. Yeah. You have an incredible story and we're excited to share that with people and uh, talk about your book and also we'll definitely tag the things that you're passionate about there too. So that's a, such a wonderful, wonderful cause. We appreciate your time and your story and you know what, we just thank you for your family. And actually, I'm just going to pray over you right now, if that's okay with you. Um, God, I just thank you so much for Jason and his story. God, I thank you so much that he has um, stepped into the light and to be able to share this light that he has, God, that's just his faith and his foundation is now in you and, and Jesus Christ. And God, I just thank you that you have given him this platform um to share that with. God, I pray over his family. I pray blessings over his wife, um And their marriage and their children, God, that you would just continue to sustain them and continue to um let them walk along beside you, God, and just stay in that beautiful light that you've given them. And senior I pray, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it. A, God bless you guys. Yes. God, you bless, too, God man. bless you too. Okay. Yeah, let's let's do, do it again sometime. Yeah. Let's do that. Yeah. Okay. Love you, man. Thank you.
0: you. Thank you. Well, Rebecca, we laughed, we cried, we prayed. <laughs> We just had church service, I think.
1: <laughs> we took the people to church.
0: <laughs> That's right. Just a great conversation with Jason. It's it's awesome to see just his open heart awesome. and his honesty yeah. and just wanting people to know God better mm-hmm. and to be healed like he's been
1: healed. Yeah. It's quite an amazing story. And we hope that you guys really enjoyed this. Also in the show notes, we're going to have all the tags for like what he's mentioning at the end, some of the places that you can donate where you can find help. Suicide hotline will be on there Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, people, people need this kind of stuff in their life. So we hope that you will pay special attention to that.
0: And as we sign off, as soon as we sign off, we'll have all that information of the suicide hotline. And if you need some help, uh, we just hope that you'll reach out to people, reach out to your friends, call these numbers if you need to, mm-hmm. um, call us, yeah, give us a call. So <laughs> yeah, uh, just an important, very important episode today and a very important story that we heard today.
1: Mm-hmm. That's right. We hope you enjoyed this episode and this interview with Jason Grimsley. Like we did hardy, hardy five and a half over and out.
0: We'll see you next time.
1: To contact the Suicide and Crisis Prevention Hotline, dial 988. Veterans can press 1. Call and text. National Alliance on Mental Illness, dial 1-800-950-6264. That's Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. Call or text 62640. Eye Care Crisis Hotline, 817 335 Three zero two two.